Welcome to the Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. On this show, we focus on how the real estate industry, the world's single largest emitter of greenhouse gases, can leverage climate tech to become part of the sustainability solution. I'm your host, Greg Smithies. I'm a partner on the climate tech team at Fifth Wall, the largest and most active venture investor in technology for the real estate industry. In this podcast, we'll be joined by people on the front lines, the people inventing, investing in, and deploying the climate tech we'll need to make our homes, offices, and communities more efficient, more sustainable, and ever closer to carbon zero. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech, uh, Fifth Wall's podcast, where we talk to folks on the front lines of decarbonizing the built environment. And uh, today we have the fantastic opportunity to talk to Thomas Volker, who is the co-founder and CEO of Leap. Um, and Leap is on the front lines here of how we turn building assets and the amount of energy they use from a cost center into a revenue center. Um, so Thomas, thanks so much for taking the time and uh, spending it with us. Thanks for having me, uh, Greg. Excited to be here. Yeah, so so Thomas, before we hop into Leap and everything that, that you guys are working on over there, I'm always fascinated by people's founding stories and how they got to where they where they are. So um, yeah, maybe just give us the quick rundown of, of what led you to co-founding Leap and uh, how you got here. Yeah, so I've been in the energy sector or green energy for my career, which is about 15 years right now. And when I started out, uh, we were building solar energy resources at really high prices and no one would really think that that um, you know really well, uh, you know sometime create a, a revolution but you know 15 years later we're at the moment in time that uh solar energy wind energy are by far the cheapest forms of uh, of new built um electricity and that's great um but now the question is how do we fit that all into the grid and um, you know that's the second question that we need to resolve if we really want to solve climate change fast and we need to move fast on that uh, that front yep and how long ago did you found it and uh and you know what's the actual genesis story on on you waking up one morning and saying i absolutely have to go and start a company yeah so um as i mentioned right solar uh has been on this extreme roller coaster solar coaster it's been called um uh, cost cost decline and um, I've been working in that sector, and right now, um, you know, where solar was 10 years ago, it seems that the grid is now really in a inflection point that uh, requires upgrades in technology, um, and uh, and also, um, you know, to change how we operate electric grids. So I used to work at a company uh, in the solar inverter business, um, you know, rolling out these uh, uh, massive solar fields, uh, also uh, residential um, solar installations. And, um, it, you know, more and more, um, you know, encountered the issue that the grid would not be able to cope with the amount of solar energy that's being put online. Um, you know, grids are under congestion. Um, you know, we've seen very recently that, you know, grids in the U.S. have been struggling to cope with climate change, to cope with intermittent renewables, to cope with um, freak weather that, um, you know, freezes over gas wells or, you know, uh, sometimes the wind doesn't blow. So. The grid is this new centerpiece of you know, the frontier of decarbonizing energy, and um, you know that includes large utility-scale solar, wind, hydro um, solutions. But uh, a, a big piece of that is the distributed energy resources, and that um, you know includes electric vehicles, batteries, um, 
demand response is the technical term. And, um, you know, the commercial uh, real estate sector is one of the, um, you know, our top priorities. It's a third of the total electricity use in the U.S. Uh, and I, th- I think also the third of the total emissions um, that we can solve by hardening the grid, make it zero carbon and, and allow, you know, these buildings um, to participate um, not as a cost center, as you mentioned, but as a, as a revenue generator, uh, really a virtual power plant. And that's where the idea for Leapcom came about. We are a software provider that creates tools to you know, allow um, owners of buildings, batteries, electric vehicles to become a virtual power plant and, uh, and help stabilize the grid and make it more clean and resilient. Fantastic. So let's maybe d- dig into what that what that problem really is, because I think what a lot of people see is headlines, right? So what happened in Texas in February? Grid goes down. Um, I think it happened again in in Texas in in June again, but for completely different reasons. We see the grid going down here in uh, in California. Sometimes they turn it off just because of wildfires. Sometimes it falls over. Um, but what is really the the problem that's driving all of this? Like when I was growing up, I was in a third world country in South Africa. Now power went off a lot, but I was like, okay, well, this is just normal life. I moved to the US to a first world country. I expected the power to just be on. Uh, that has not been the case. So wh- what's the problem that's actually driving driving this? Uh, uh, you know, the, the problems with the grid today. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, is the same across the world, right? Electrons are electrons. Um, the, the the thing is, a grid is the biggest machine on Earth. Um, it um, It is, you know, providing power and consuming power at the light at light speed, right? That's the, the nature of electricity. So the operators of those grids, their only business is to make sure that frequency stays within the, the, the very sensitive bandwidth um, to make sure that lights are on. But if you're too low of a frequency, you know, you get a blackout. If it's too high things will start blowing up. So the, the, the underlying reason why grids, do go, grids go down is because there's um, you know too little um, frequency or, or over frequency. The reason, therefore, is that uh, the supply and demand on a grid always needs to be um, you know, matched in real time. So traditionally, we would have very reliable, but unfortunately very polluting power plants that would just you know fire up a, another boiler um, if demand would increase, right? Um, uh, funny uh, thing, right? You know, we we just had the Euro Euro Championships uh, in Europe, and then you know um, you know uh, the the game against England, England and against Italy. At halftime, the national grid operator in the UK expects two gigawatts of of demand because people are putting the kettle on. So those those things really need to be balanced out, and um, and that's so sensitive. So you know, in a traditional grid with uh, fossil fuel power plants, you would just fire up a, a, another power plant. In a grid that's based on renewables, solar and wind, um, you know you don't have that lever. You can't tell the sun to shine or the wind to blow. So you need to coordinate uh, the you know interconnection between all these different resources much more um, um, you know sensibly. And then add climate change to it. You get freak weather in regions where it would normally not occur. Right? It's cold in Texas, extremely cold in February. And the infrastructure is not built for it. Uh, the, the wind farms are, you know, are frozen over. Doesn't mean that wind doesn't produce in cold weather. I mean, there's wind farms on Antarctica, but you know, the the the, the, the winterization package was not, um, you know, a feature in Texas. Um, same for gas wells that were frozen over. Um, so, if you're not built for the changing environment, and you have a lot of renewables on the grid that are creating variability, um, you know, grids tend to under stress and um, you know the, the whole paradigm that a reliable grid uh, can be run 24/7 uh, just needs to be re- rethought 
Um, and that's also why, you know, the demand side of the grid, um, you know, uh, real estate, um, supermarkets, irrigation systems, water districts, anyone that consumes energy and is potentially able to, uh, you know, uh, either reduce their demand on, on, uh, during peak times or even deliver energy back that they stored in their batteries on site or, uh, you know, through uh, climate um, um, uh, optimization, you know, building management systems are, are, are a big piece of that. We can create these um, reliable virtual power plants that help stabilize the grid from the demand side. And that's um, that's really necessary because grids are under stress. And as you can see, at the, in California, we we just had a uh, first blackout in 20 years in September. Now we're, we we almost hit the second one uh, just six months later. You know, Texas had two big events in in you know within six months. So, you know, this is the new normal. Yep, yep, yeah. And maybe if I can kind of s- summarize that on on the grid problem side of the equation, it's that we're we're almost seeing a, a bit of a perfect storm. Haha. I'm um, given the climate change part here, but that the percentage of renewables which are intermittent, meaning they flex up and down throughout the day, is increasing at the same time that we have these sort of freak weather events, right, because of climate change. But also there's a third piece of the puzzle, which is we are generally also demanding more from our electricity grids because of the ongoing electrification of a lot of industries and things, right? People have electric vehicles now. People are switching out their furnaces for heat pumps. And those things in general are good, right, because a heat pump is much better for the environment, much more efficient, much cheaper to run. But at the same time, it means that we're shifting an amount of energy that used to, say, come from oil or from gas, and it's instead now shifting onto the electricity grid, right? So we kind of have these three legs of the stool that are combining here to make this problem much more complicated than having any one of those problems on their own would make it, you know, would still be tough, but we've got kind of got all three happening at the same time, right? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, but and I would, would add to that, that the electrification of transportation is also the biggest opportunity that we have within the grid, because I, I would say that we don't have a shortage of electricity. Um, I mean, in California, we have, um, you know, during midday, we have too much of it, actually. We have so much solar energy that we uh, send stuff to the ground. Prices go negative in California, uh, so you have to pay to put electricity on the grid. There's too much of, uh, of it. Um, but then, of course, if we could s- store that electricity in batteries, you know, electric vehicle batteries or stationary batteries, uh, of which we get more and more, um, that would be an amazing resource to shift that electricity supply from midday to, say, 7 p.m. when the sun sets, but it's still hot and a lot of air conditions, air conditions are still running. So that's really the crux. We need more batteries, um, you know, both electric vehicle uh, as well as grid connected, that will increase the demand on the grid. Uh, we expect about 20 terawatt hours of, uh, of increased demand just in California. Um, and we need some sort of solution because if everyone plugs in it, you know, at the same time, and there's no coordination, you know, the grid, the grid will definitely blow up. But it's also the opportunity, right? If we store the electricity in those batteries, we can, you know, back up the grid two times over um, and, and really run a reliable clean grid uh, without uh, the carbon intensity of the, the current uh, supply. Yep. Okay, got it. So the real problem uh, ultimately that you're trying to go after is how do we match supply and demand on the grid? Um, and this obviously isn't something that we can uh, coordinate across you know, hundreds of thousands of buildings, millions of cars, all of those things. This, this isn't something you can do with pager duty and a bunch of phones to like get people to coordinate. Obviously, there needs to be some, some software here doing the coordination. So let's maybe jump into what it is exactly that Leap does and, and how you solve this problem. Yeah, and um, to be clear, right, we don't coordinate the uh, the operation of the grid. There's grid operators that do that. Um, you know, you have one in uh, New York, Texas has their own one, uh, California. There's many 
grid operators. Um, but those grid operators run markets where independent power plants can offer their power for a certain price and then buyers, mostly utilities, buy that power. And then, of course, supply and demand has to be equally um, you know, in balance every, uh, every trade out. Leap, as a software platform, we provide all the solutions that um, you know, uh, an owner of electric vehicles or um, you know, Whole Foods, for instance, um, can use to you know, aggregate to a sizable resource to compete in that market as if they were a virtual power plant. So we get treated exactly equal as the gas power plant down the road. Uh, but in our case, it's a combination of batteries mostly, um, um, demand response on um, climate and uh, uh, HVAC, um, you know, um, uh, shifting of demand of, of irrigation systems, for instance, um, you know, building uh, controls. Um, and that can add up to many hundreds of megawatt hours and therefore compete head to head with these power plants in the open market. So we are operating in a full unsubsidized way. Um, and that's, I think, I think also the only way that you can scale um, in, in, a, in a competitive market. Uh, but we're going, competing head to head with um, gas power plants, um, you know, for uh, high price volatility. And um, and the beauty is that we get paid the exact same way as a power plant would do, uh, would would get, without burning the fuel. And then we, of course, distribute that money to our participants, you know, um, uh, companies like Sunrun or, um, you know, um, EV charging companies or, you know, electric vehicle companies or large commercial uh, aggregators and uh, building optimizations. Um, and then they, they share that revenue with their end customers. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really interesting way to help stabilize the grid and also, you know, make revenue from your uh, own assets. Yep. So if I if I were to really kind of summarize it, it uh, and and then tell me if I'm if I'm on the right track, it would be something along the lines of, um, let's say it's an inc- it's an incredibly hot day, right? Everybody's pumping up their their HVAC systems. Um, Whole Foods, who uh, might be one of your customers, they've got their HVAC systems going. Obviously, they've got their fridges running. They also maybe happen to have some batteries on the solar panels that are in their parking lot, right? Now, the old way of doing this, as the heat is rising and everyone's turning on their air conditioners is that the grid uh, utility would go and turn on a gas peaker plant, right? So they they wouldn't do anything on the demand side because they couldn't. Instead, they would just have to increase supply to match that demand. What Leap software actually allows, uh, allows the demand side to do is for Whole Foods in this example to say, oh, well, it turns out we've got some batteries here. Maybe we're going to run our stores off of our batteries for a little bit. And so actually decrease our demand on the grid. And that might have the same effect as turning on a gas peaker plant, but by decreasing demand on the grid as opposed to increasing supply, right? And that ultimately the utility operators are willing to pay for um, you as the Whole Foods in this scenario to do that, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, we get exactly paid the same as other power plants. Uh, so that's the beauty of it. Um, and um, yeah, you know, consider um, an area where it's hot. That's mostly where, where prices are high. Um, so I'm taking the example of California right now, right? We have the Central Valley uh, or the Bay Area. Um, if you want to, you know, wheel power into Oakland, I'm just taking Oakland as an example, um, that's that's complicated because those power lines might be over, um, you know, overburdened. Um, you can only transport, you know, X amount of electrons through a high voltage line. So you want to have local generation uh, to deliver that uh, power locally uh, to avoid having to go over the distribution grid. The beauty with our solution is that all our 
all our um, aggregators and partners are local. They're the consumer, but also the um, the delivery uh, of, of uh, electricity locally from their batteries and indeed also the demand response. So, um, you know, we get paid really attractive pricing uh, to coordinate all of this. Uh, and then, um, you know, we aggregate resources that, you know, include um, many uh, residential air conditioners uh, through Google Nest, for instance, uh, smart thermostats. Uh, commercial real estate, EV charging, EV fleets. Um, so the whole aggregation of, of resources together actually become this uh, really reliable uh, virtual power plant that uh, provides those same services. Yep. And then what's what's in it for the for the actual uh, asset owner here, like the landlord or the or the Whole Foods here? They're sharing that revenue with you. Yeah, we, yeah, so indeed, we get paid by the grid operator uh, for performance in the market. So we verify that delivery happened uh, by reading out the utility meter on site. Uh, this, this, of course, all goes automatically. There's no human in between, no phone calls, no SMS text messages, all automated. Uh, and that's the only way you can do it at a scale. Um, and then, yeah, for every every trade day that we have, we settle with the uh with the partner uh, and uh, and therefore the end customer, so we we cut a check. Uh, it's a it's a nice business to have, or we actually bring money, and um, um, yeah, it's been a very lucrative business. Um, you know, many uh, buildings and, and companies have made uh, significant amount, amounts of money, uh, specifically during these heat heat wave events. Um, uh, you know, and they occur more regularly, um, you know, in the future um, as well. Yeah, and, and that's actually one of the pushbacks on on demand response type systems that I do often hear. And maybe it's it's a little bit of paranoia from the the tenants or the landlords as saying, well, you know, you're, you're potentially messing around with my HVAC and stuff. But the the response is typically that no, actually, it's uh, you guys might be futzing around with something for sort of one or two minutes in a month, right? It's it, but those two minutes that you guys are messing with something are absolutely critical for keeping the grid online and so the utility is willing to pay a lot of money for those you know two minutes of you being in demand response mode right so that actually it doesn't have a very big impact on the buildings day to day in say the temperature in that inside that building and, and how they feel um right is that correct that's exactly right and um of course you know you can predict relatively well uh, how prices will fluctuate during the day. So, you know, we anticipate warm weather and then, um, you know, pre-cooling algorithms, for instance, kick in. So the, 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 the total climate in the building will probably stay the same, but then you can, um, uh, you know, ride through these um, grid events uh, with, uh, with, uh, with using less power because you pre-cooled uh, you know, the building uh, or you did some other optimization, uh, maybe, you know, discharge the battery that might be on site. So the, the experience to the end user, to the occupant of the building doesn't really change. It is, um, but it help, it does help, um, you know, uh, alleviate the stress on the grid. And, you know, consider even, you know, a set point of, you know, uh, 68 degrees versus 70 degrees over multiple buildings. That is a very noticeable, uh, uh, you know, demand drop in energy. But to the occupants of the buildings, it might not even register. Yep, got it. And then obviously, where the where the uh, sort of rubber meets the road here is, um, what do your end customers see in terms of I don't know uh, saving net savings on their bills or uh, improved capex payback on the investments and things like batteries, stuff like that. Yeah. So for most for most uh, uh, participants, this is just extra revenue. They've already have the equipment on site. They have uh, HVAC and building management systems. They already remotely control uh, their climate uh, locally. They might have had some you know backup generators installed um, you know for these 
grid events that happen uh, you know, where the grid is shut down for multiple days has a different reason, uh, but you know that's more for the uh, wildfires, for instance, but also typhoons. Um, so having battery backup or generation backup on site uh, now becomes a generator uh, that can also participate in the market during normal course of business. So for the majority of our participants, this this is just 100% extra revenue um, that they you know didn't necessarily already um, uh, expect. Um, you know, some projects actually uh, you know pencil out because they now uh, you know think of uh, grid revenues as um, you know an ongoing revenue stream for the next you know decade or so. Um, and that helps, you know, make projects pencil out. Batteries are getting cheaper, but they're not that cheap yet. And, um, you know, for, for a lot of buildings, uh, it makes sense. So, yeah, we were, you know, uh, it depends on the location, depends on how active you are, um, because, you know, we let you set your own price. So, you know, if you price yourself very high, you might not be called upon that much, but you also don't get paid that much. Um, it really, you know, depends on your preference. Um, but we're talking many thousands of, um, of dollars um, uh, per site um, easily, um, you know, as an ongoing revenue stream uh, that you can, you know, either give as a discount uh, to your services or, you know, roll into uh, the capital expenditures um, or just improve, uh, you know, the credit worthiness of the investment. Yep. And then who should really think about these uh, these opportunities? Uh, basically, who should knock on your door? I'm, I'm assuming people who have buildings with lots of HVAC load, but then also if they have batteries, that would be better. If they have solar, that would be better. Maybe if they've got an EV fleet, that would be better. But kind of like what what are the, the levers that you can play with and what do, you, uh, what do customers typically have? Yeah, so we have uh, the whole you know, the whole uh, spectrum as you just mentioned: EV fleets, EV charging, climate, uh, all from residential to large commercial, irrigation, water districts, um, uh, refrigeration, food processing. So you name it, it's it's on it's on the platform. The crucial thing that we need is uh, a, a partner, uh, an aggregator that actually physically controls the set points of those devices. So we are just an exchange; we're just an interface. We don't. We don't mess with your hardware. We're not integrated with your software either. Um, but you have so there have to be there has to be an actor between us and the hardware that's under control. In many cases, that's you know a building management uh, system, or um, you know it might be uh, a thermostat um, company in, you know, for residential uh, uh, users, or an EV charging uh, company network that does um, you know fleet optimization. But there's someone that runs software that controls the hardware. That's the that's the, the the important link that we need, um, and um, and that that software then is automatically integrated with our with our platform. Um, you know, we've have we have many um, big companies and small that all went through uh, a very easy onboarding, uh, and we're very successful in that. Um, but that's the you know we, we're looking for those types of uh, of companies. And to be clear, we are you know a business to business solution. Um, no consumer, you know, as a private individual, you cannot sign up for Leap. We're just behind the scenes, almost like Stripe for energy, essentially. Um, you own the customer relationship. Uh, your branding is on it. We're just the facilitator behind the scenes. Yep, got it. No, I think that's a fantastic overview. So uh, where can people go to find out more? Yeah, check out uh, leap, L-E-A-P dot energy um, uh, online uh, or go to Twitter, leapdex is our handle there. Uh, we're pretty active, um, and um, yeah, we're across all markets uh, currently. Um, California, mostly uh, Texas, uh, a big one as well. New York, uh, but should have coverage across the whole U.S. Um, shortly, and then internationally, we're looking at markets that you know are going through the same uh, transition. A lot of renewables, a lot of variability, and that's pretty much every electricity market out there. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time. Correct. Happy to do this. Thanks for listening to Fifth Wall's Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. For more on Fifth Wall and our efforts in climate tech, visit our website at fifthwall.com. <laughs>